Well, I want to get into my sermon. Um, how many of y'all remember 1978? Some of y'all do remember 1978. I was about 12 or 13 years old, and I remember during that year in the news, there was a man whose name was on the news all the time, and he was very controversial, and he was stirring the pot. It seemed like I just that's all I could hear about, and his name was Larry Flint. Does anybody remember Larry Flint? I know some of y'all are laughing. Larry Flint was a guy who created a, uh, and started a very controversial pornography magazine called Hustler. And when you're 13 years old, going on 14, you're going through those changes in life and you hear about this stuff on the news all the time, of course you're already curious about these things and you're even more curious about who's this guy. Now, Larry Flint was a piece of work. He really was. He had many court battles um, over his magazine and his First Amendment rights, as some of you may have remembered. Um, It was very interesting. And he was actually on trial here in Atlanta, actually in Lawrenceville. And as he was going out of the courtroom, him and his lawyer one day, they were both shot, if you remember that. And they were shot, and they couldn't find out who did it. And uh, he, he lived, and, his, uh, and the lawyer lived, but Larry Flint was in a wheelchair and has been in a wheelchair ever since. But it did not stop him from kind of doing what he's um, trying to do. He was, I'm telling you all, he was something else. He actually came to trial um, on, on one of these trials, actually in a diaper, and the diaper was the American flag. Some of y'all might remember that, and it was people were just outraged at this. But basically in Gwinnett County, he was on trial because people could not believe how obscene this magazine was, and they didn't want it in their county. They didn't want people selling it, and so that's why he was on trial. But I want to share with you something that went on during that trial that is very telling about the culture then and even the culture now and even the culture in the first century that we've been talking about as we go through John's first letter. So during the trial, one of Flint's defense team or lawyers questioned a witness from the prosecution and uh, who was basically outraged that this magazine was in their county and was being sold and just couldn't believe this kind of stuff was being sold. And the questioning went something like this. So he asked the witness on the stand, he goes, Have you ever paid to go to an art gallery? And the witness says, yes, I have. He goes, have you ever paid to go to an art gallery where there were portraits, where there were paintings from the great masters? And he goes, yes, yes, I have. Then the next question, he says, have you ever paid to go to an art gallery where there were paintings of the great masters that were nude? And there was kind of a silence, and he goes, yes, I suppose I have. And he says, well, can you tell this court why you paid to see nude paintings or portraits by the great masters, and you call that art, and you call my client stuff pornography? And why is it that you think that people should be able to pay to go see what you want to see, but not be able to pay to see what they want to see? Harsh question, isn't it? But you see what he was doing there, right? In the middle of a trial, you can't say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. There's a huge difference between a nude painting by one of the great masters and what is going on in this magazine. There's a huge difference. And I'm not saying either one are right, but there is a huge difference. But in the middle of a trial, you can't say that. You can't say, wait a minute, let's sit down and talk about our worldview, what we believe. But that kind of thinking was not new in 1978, nor was it in the first century nor is it now. Because we have this attitude as, hey, you just kind of do your thing and I'll do my thing and don't bother me and I won't bother you and everything will be okay. That's worked real well for our culture, hasn't it? There has to be some, some truth. There has to be some moral standards that are important and that's why the church is so 
critical in this culture and has always been in the culture to say, hey, what is it that our Creator wanted for us? Not that we point out everything that is bad, but what has our Creator pointed to the truth about what He wants? What did He create us for? And that's relationship with Him, not these other things that have come into the mix. So we're going to continue our study in 1 John, and we're going to look at another section of this letter where John is telling and informing his this, these people he's pastoring in this church about, hey, this is what's going on in the culture. You need to be aware of it, and hopefully we can make some application in our own culture. Well, remember, as I shared, John was committed to teaching that Jesus' followers should certainly be a vibrant, loving, and unified community, but one thing they needed to have at the very foundation is the truth about who Jesus was and what Jesus has called us to be in the world. That's got to be foundational. Now last week we looked at where John warned this community that he was pastoring. You remember we talked about being in the world but not of the world. And he warned them about loving the world and the things of the world. He did not want them to fall into this what is called spiritual duplicity where we display spiritual talk we display maybe spiritual deeds, but in our minds and our hearts, we're really focused and a lot of times even possessed by the world and its thinking. And as I shared last week, there was then and there is now a world or a worldview of sin that is certainly aggressively opposed to God and God's Word. And we see that in our culture. And Pastor Tony Evans, some of y'all may have heard him speak or maybe have read some of his book. He's a great man. He's down in uh, Dallas, Texas. And he says this about worldliness. He says, the world is that system headed by Satan that leaves God out. Worldliness has to do with the placement or absence of God. Anything that has to do with excluding God, that's the world. You can't pursue the calling of the world or its highest interest at the expense of your relationship with God, and he's so true on that. So it's not just a thing we do ne- necessarily worldliness. It's not just a place we go that's worldliness. And it's not just a group of people we maybe hang out with that are worldly. But it's a perspective. It's a worldview that we develop, and ultimately it possesses us. And we have this worldview about everything. And this was the mindset that possessed Larry Flint and his attorney. It was the mindset of some of those that were in this church that John is pastoring, and it is some that maybe even you right now are starting to develop that, and you don't even realize, and it needs to be a warning to you. John makes it clear that we have to look in the mirror and evaluate where our loyalty really is. Is it with the world, or is it with God? It can't be both, and we try to play that game. In that culture, it was going on. In 1978, it was going on. And let me just go back to that trial for a minute. So I went back and looked at some of the trial that went on. And this is what Larry, during one of those trials, Larry Flint had actually said that he had become a born-again Christian. And so he was on trial, and the, 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 the prosecuting attorneys asked him something. And he says, look, I'm a born-again Christian now. <laughs> And he says, I know what's in this magazine is wrong. I know it's wrong towards women. I know it's wrong towards sexuality. But it's not against the law. I have the right under the First Amendment to produce this kind of stuff. Does that look like somebody that's been born again? You see, he was still, he was, he was still it was about the money. Because he made a lot of money. He still, you know, he's a billionaire. He still makes lots of money. Now, he's had to change things, but he still... So I'm going, how is that? How can you be loyal to Christ and say you're born again, but still say, oh, that's wrong. It's degrading to women. It's degrading to men who become addicted to this kind of nonsense. But it's not illegal, so just let it go. 
And that is so crazy. So let's look at how John starts this next section in his letter to that, uh, that, those early Christians. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. Now, this is not a sermon about pornography, just so y'all will know. I'm against that. I think it's very destructive. I understand that, but I hope you see where we're going here. Listen to what John says. Thank y'all for having that up. Dear children, again, we talked about that. He's talking. He's 80 or 90 years old. He's saying, all of y'all, y'all are like my children. I'm trying to teach you, protect you, equip you, encourage you. He says, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belong to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. And I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? Is it whoever denies? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see to it that you um, see to it that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what He promised us: eternal life. I am writing you these things. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has been taught to you, remain in Him. Now this might be a little scary for some of you. Last hour, Antichrist, yikes. You're getting into that crazy, weird stuff that's in Revelation, or maybe in Daniel. What is all that about? Well, let me say this about that apocalyptic or uh, eschatology kind of language, and I'll explain that in just a minute. But some of that scares some of us, and, and we read that stuff in Revelation, and we go, what does that even mean? And it was written in code, and there is some... Um, part of it that we have to try to filter through and say, what was John really saying there? What was Jesus trying to show him? He was showing him about the end times and what was going to happen. And those crazy things in there do stand for things. But here's, here's, a, here's a, a danger on both sides. When we think that kind of stuff is hard to understand and, and, and hard to read, so we just don't even deal with it. That's not a good thing because it's part of God's Word. But if, on the other hand, if we become obsessed with it and we read it all the time and we read books about it all the time and we try to figure out, well, what does that mean? Well, what does that mean? And, and go crazy with it, that's not a healthy position either. So I think we need to look at how Jesus talked about it. Now, one of the, I don't want to spend an excessive amount of time on it, but I do want to say technically the word is called eschatology. And eschatology is the part of theology. Theology is thought about God, okay? And so eschatology is thought about the end times or death, judgment, the final destiny of, of humankind, the soul, the final events of history. That's what eschatology is. And when we start talking about those kind of things, and certainly those are in the Bible and we need to talk about that, but not to be obsessed with it. So John says that this is the last hour, as in the end of time and Jesus is returning to soon. Did John miss it? Because it's 2019 and Jesus has not returned the second time, has he yet? So was John wrong? 
Did he miss this? And if he missed this, then how do we, does he have any credibility with this? Well, here's the thing. I think John, I know John, was very familiar with what Jesus taught about eschatology, about the end times. John heard it as he sat at Jesus' feet. As he heard people ask him about eschatology, he heard Jesus respond. He was an eyewitness, so he heard Jesus' teachings about it, Jesus' parables about it. And John heard it as we read in the Gospels. I'm going to give you three chapters and if you're interested in eschatology and you want to know what did Jesus really say about the end times, I'm going to give you three chapters. And you can just jot these down and then we'll move on and you can study it and we'll talk about that or email back and forth if you want to. It's great stuff. But listen, Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. You can look at those and see what Jesus said. It's not extensive, but those are where Jesus talked a lot about the end times. And basically what Jesus said, he goes, there's going to be signs of the way people are behaving and things that are going on in the culture that are going to say, hey, this could be the last time. The way people are behaving, the things that we see going on, this could be the last time. Have you ever heard people say that in our culture? When that magazine came out in 1978, there were people that were going, this has got to be the end of times. They're publishing stuff like this. Well, now guess what? We can get that on our phone. It's true. And look how far we've come. Is it the end times? Some of us want it to be the end times. I get that. But what we're seeing is those kind of behaviors, Jesus said, you'll see that kind of behavior, and that's a sign that it could be the last time. But Jesus also was very aware that, hey, I don't know when the time's going to be. He said, when is the end of time going to be, Jesus? And he goes, that's not for me to know. It's not for the angels in heaven. It's only for God the Father to know those times. But he warned that we should always keep watch, be aware of the signs, and be prepared for the Lord's return. He told a lot of parables about that. You need to watch out because it will come like a thief in the what? Night. Some of y'all know that. She said, you're not going to know. You're going to be going about your business, not even thinking about it. All of a sudden, that's when it's going to happen. So Jesus said, look at these signs. So with that being said, I believe John is letting the church know in that first century, some you know, 30, 40, 50 years since Jesus has, has uh, ascended back into heaven, and he's saying, hey, we're seeing these clear signs that it could be the end times. We're seeing antichrist, those who are antichrist. That doesn't mean that John is saying it's definitely here right now. Everybody run for cover. No, he's saying this is signs. And we need to recognize that possibility. And the truth is even more important now if this is the end time. So be prepared. He says, you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. John wrote Revelation. He's aware of this. There is this Antichrist. And I'm not going to get into all that today. But we know there's going to supposedly some Antichrist that's a world leader that's going to uh, bring about a lot of destruction. But anyway, he says, even now there are many antichrists who have come and he's talking about in his own church he says they went out from us but they did not really belong to us for if they had belonged to us they would have remained with us but their going showed that none of them belonged to us who is they now we hear that all the time don't we well, you know what they say on the internet you know what they say about this what you eat what you drive what you say but he's saying no these are people from our own church that have left us it seems there was a group from this church or community of believers that have left because they were teaching false, deceptive teaching within the church and stirring that up, causing disunity in the church. And John was calling them out on it. He goes, wait a minute, that's not what Jesus said. I was with Jesus. I was a disciple of Jesus. I was with him. I was an eyewitness. I've written a gospel that the Holy Spirit inspired me to write so that we would know what Jesus taught so that it can go forward and we can pass it on to generation to generation. And what you're teaching is not true. 
It's some of this nonsense that we hear in our culture today. And so he called them out and says, you're not going to teach that in our church without me reprimanding you and calling you to account. So they left. They just up and left the church. And John is saying, you know what? I'm not sure they were ever, ever really a part of us in the first place. Now, John is sad that they've left. He hasn't forced them out, but he says, you're not going to stay here and teach things that aren't true and deceptive. And John says they never probably really belonged to us. And let me ask you a question today, because this is where it gets awkward in the church. Have any of y'all been involved in a situation in a church where this kind of stuff happens? You know, you don't have to raise your hand, you know. You may be here today, it's like, oh, you have to bring that up, you know. But it happens sometimes, and we have to make decisions about things. So let me ask you this question. Within the Christian community, within the church, what is most important? Is it most important to be committed to the truth, or is it most important to be committed to unity? Now think about that. That's a hard question. That's like, Craig, have you stopped beating your wife yet? Unity is very important, isn't it? Any organization, any body cannot function. A family can't function if there's disunity. But also we cannot function when there is dishonesty and deception and the truth is not present. If I'm committed to the truth, does that mean that I have to break unity or fellowship with those who do not believe or reject or deny the truth? Those are hard questions, aren't they? If I'm committed to unity, do I ignore those who reject or deny the truth and just pretend it's not happening? Now, if I told you today that you get to be the person that goes to that person and say, you can't teach in, in our kids anymore because you're teaching false things, would you want to be that person? Of course, no, you can do that. You're the leadership. <laughs> Nobody wants to do that, but there comes times in life. And guess what, y'all? Throughout all of history, the church has had to deal with these kind of things and say, wait a minute, what is the truth? If we bring up what the truth is, it's going to cause disunity. So do we bring it up or do we avoid it? These are def difficult situations. Both truth and unity are important, but one seems to emerge here, and it's truth. Now let me say this. Jesus could have chosen unity over the truth. He could have said, you know what? I, I know I'm supposed to be the Savior, but in order to be the Savior, I'm going to have to call out the religious leaders. I'm going to have to call them on what they're teaching, on their hypocrisy. But if I do that, then there's going to be disunity within the within the temple, and I don't want to do that. So you know what? I'm just going to stay in Nazareth. I'm just going to be this carpenter, and I'm going to go to synagogue. I'm going to go to temple, and I'm going to read and do what I'm supposed to, but I'm not going to cause any controversy. What if Jesus would have done that? Well, guess what? He could have all let us be on our unified way on that greasy slide to hell, but he didn't. He said it, the truth matters. What the religious leaders are teaching has to be, they need to be called out on that. And I came, my father gave me, and he knew that he had to tell the truth, even if it meant going to the cross. And that's what Jesus did. The early disciples could have chosen unity over truth. You remember what they were told as they had started preaching about Jesus and his resurrection. The religious leaders are furious. Stop telling people that Jesus rose from the dead. We can't find his body and nobody knows where it is, but stop telling them that. And they said, you can keep putting us in jail, you can keep beating us, but we cannot stop talking about what we have seen, the resurrected Jesus. And he gave us a great commission to go make disciples, and that's what we're going to do. We can't hide that truth. We're going to keep talking about it. Did that cause disunity? Yes, it did. Everywhere they tried to start a church, everywhere Paul went, what happened? There was a riot. Disunity. The truth causes disunity. Now, I'm not saying we need to go out today and cause riots, but I'm saying that's the effects of it. Think about Martin Luther, the great Martin Luther. He could have chosen unity over truth. 
He's sitting in church every week and he's listening to priests go, hey, this is what God's Word said. And if you really want to be close with God, if you want a relationship with God, you've got to do all these certain things on the list. And he's going, I'm reading Paul's letters in the New Testament and that's not what it says. It says we are justified by faith, not by works. Why are they teaching this? And so he finally had enough of it and he nailed the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg door and the Great Reformation was on. And y'all, we are sitting here today because he could not ignore the truth. And yes, it caused disunity in Martin Luther's life. He was excommunicated from the church and you might go, oh, big deal, you didn't have to go to church anymore. I wish that would happen to me. No, they were threatening. They tried to kill him and his family. But the truth was important. And John is saying that he and the rest of the community um, could not be unified with these folks who are distorting the truth. And yes, it has caused disunity within the truth, but we have to stay true to what Jesus actually said and did and called us to do. Jesus plainly taught these things. He, he plainly lived these things out. And he even died and resurrected for those truths. And John was committed to that. And that's what he's saying to these people. Those who uh, are left, you know, uh, say, hey, maybe, you know, this worldview, they're aggressively trying to take you away from opposing you to God and we can't have them in the church. And so they've left. And he's saying, I'm sorry to see them leave, but it had to happen. So I would guess that some of those who John is writing to that were in this church, they're probably concerned as any of us have been through a church split or where something's happened like that. And we go, why did this have to happen? But please understand, churches have split over things like what color is the carpet going to be? Are we going to have padded pews with arms and cup holders or not? I mean, really, people have split over things like that. Or how much money is the, is the, is the preacher making? Or, or should he have a, a plane or should he not have a plane? Stuff like that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about saying who Jesus really is, as John says. He goes, he reminds them of the truth. He goes, I know this has happened, and I know this is a blow to our church, but we have to stay true. And this is what he says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. When all of us, he's talking to them, but he's talking to all of us because God knew through the Holy Spirit that he would be talking to us in 2019. When you chose, when I chose to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we were empowered with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ living in us just like Jesus promised. John talks about that a lot in the Gospel of John. When you stay focused on the truth, you know the truth of God's Word and allow His truth to penetrate your mind. You think about it. It renews your mind. It penetrates your heart. You think about it with the feel of what you've thought about and what you've been taught. And then it penetrates your soul and it becomes a part of who you are and it becomes plain to you. And sometimes that causes disunity because when you know God's truth and you see something that is not, it bothers you. The Holy Spirit goes, hey, hey, this isn't good. Hey, that's not true. You need to wake up and know what that is. No one can deny that Jesus is the Christ and deny that Jesus and the Father are one and be, and be a part of the truth. And John says such a person is actually the Antichrist. Now, we think of some world leader, but he says anyone who tells people that Jesus really wasn't the Messiah, really wasn't God's son, they are the Antichrist. As for you, he says, see that you, what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised, eternal life. This sounds right out of John's gospel. He's not teaching anything that he didn't write in his gospel. In the beginning, and I've said this almost every sermon, but I'm going to say it again. In John 1.1, and some commentators believe that John, through this experience in this church, went back and added this first chapter to his gospel after what he saw going on in his culture some 30, 40 years later. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
the Word became flesh and it dwelt among us. That's what he said in 1 John 1. That he's bringing the Father and the Son together and the Holy Spirit. You see the Trinity, obviously, in what he's talking about here. And then in John 3, 16, what does he say? For God... The Father loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have what? Eternal life. And what is He saying here? And this is what He promised us, eternal life. This is exactly what I've taught you from the beginning, He's saying to His his church. So this comes right out of His gospel. This is what He is inspired to write by the Holy Spirit, and this is what He witnessed Jesus saying and doing. So John reminds these Jesus followers who may be concerned about the unity of their church that this is His goal to make sure that you're not led astray. And if I have to cause some disunity to keep you from being led astray, then we're going to do that. He reminds them and us, again, about this anointing. Let me tell you this about leading people astray. And I've said this to our staff. We have people that work with our kids back there, and I'm so thankful for those people. They're great people and work with our our teenagers. And y'all know that anybody that works with our kid has to go through a background, a criminal background check, and they have to go through some training before they can ever be with our kids. Well, here's the thing. I tell my staff, I don't care who we offend in doing that. You see what I'm saying? I'm not going to purposely offend and cause disunity, but you are not going to work with our kids if you don't do a background check and you don't do what we've asked you to do because that, those kids' safety is our first concern. And sometimes when you do that with people, it causes disunity. Well, I'm not doing that. Well, then you're not working with our kids. And I'm sorry if that causes disunity, but the truth is our kids have to be safe. And this is John talking like a father. These are my children. These are the disciples that God has called me to develop and lead them, and I'm going to take that seriously. And if I've had to offend all those people that left our church, then I'm sorry. I hate that for them, but we know what the truth is, and I'm not going to let them lead them astray. So the gift of the Holy Spirit is something that lives inside of us and shapes us and matures us. And notice how many times he says anointing here. It gives us discernment. It It signals from God as to what we believe and what we should do, and it gives us discernment going, hey, Wait a minute, that's not right. What is that guy saying? What is she saying? What did they just do? That's not right. And it wakes us up to that when we're... Tony Evans shared a great couple of analogies in his study on on 1 John. He says, most of us, and I would have guessed that most of us have a receiver somewhere near our TV at home, right? That takes the signals either from our dish on the roof or, or whatever cable, and it brings it into our house. Now, yesterday, we had a leak in our house, and I was up on the ladder pouring down rain trying to get the gutters clean because it was spilling over. Um, and I'm, and I, see the, I see the dish cable, and I'm going, how is it that this cable is able to take when the Braves are in Miami playing and signals it onto my TV. I have no idea how that works, but it's amazing. And we just go, so what, Craig? Big deal. I've got it on my phone. That's even more amazing. There's no wires. But we have some sort of a receiver to get that stuff and to watch it, and it's amazing. And so Tony Evans says, the Holy Spirit is our receiver from God. He gives us God signals, pick up God signals around us and discern the truth among the worldly signals that we're also getting to filter out the right ones. The Holy Spirit illuminates my mind and your mind and tells us what the truth is so that we won't be deceived because there's questions we have. My kids ask me questions and I'm glad they feel comfortable asking me questions, but I don't dismiss those questions. We've got to answer them and say, well, here's what God's Word says and this is what your friend is saying and this is what this joker on Google is saying. What's the truth? Now let's look at all of those in the lens through the filter of God's Word and let's find out what the truth is for our lives. The Holy Spirit is our receiver. And some of us 
have turned our receivers off. If you don't have that receiver on, do you get anything on your picture? No. You, you know, have you ever done that? Trying to, and I'm always, my kids are, here, throw them the remote, fix this, turn the TV on for me because I can't figure it out. Turn the receiver on, I can't do it. But I know it's not on, but what Tony Evans has seen is sometimes we don't have our receivers on. We've turned it off and we've started listening to the signals of the world. What somebody on Google said, what somebody on Facebook or social media, whatever, or a book we read, or somebody that we like says this and we go, that sounds kind of weird, but I don't know, I kind of like that. We've all have, uh, we all have allowed something or someone in the world to become our receiver and we are receiving deceptive signals and we have to be careful of that, that we don't start developing a worldly perspective. And let me tell you something, the worldly perspective can sound very good. It can be for a lot of good things like, hey, can't we just all get along and be unified? Not if you're telling lies, we can't. We can't do that. There's certain things where we have to draw a line and say, no, this is a boundary, and the truth has to go right here. But in the process, when we're not receiving the signal of truth from God and His Word through the Holy Spirit, we are being deceived, and we need to be aware of that. Now, how do we know what the right signal is? We, this is what he says to us in these last couple of verses. As for you, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. What? Then what are you doing, John? He's not saying you don't need anyone to teach you. I think what John's saying here is you don't need anybody from the world to teach you. I was with Jesus. I've been inspired by the Holy Spirit to write a gospel to share with you and then pass that on to, to, to generation after generation after generation. And these letters, and I don't even think John realized how far that was going to go, that we'd be reading it today. But he says, hey, that is an anointing that, that I've received, you know. And I understand that. You don't need somebody out there that really didn't know Jesus who doesn't teach the truth. You don't need them to teach you because you have the Holy Spirit and they can help you discern that and know when that anointing is real or counterfeit just as He taught you, just as it's been taught to you, He says, remain in Him. And He mentions that anointing three times in this section. That anointing remains in you. Turn it on. Remain in Him, not in the world. There's a lot of neat things in the world that God created, but don't remain in those things and those teachings that deceive you and leave God out. They will deceive you, and you will leave God out in His relationship. You won't be close with Him. So you have the teaching through the Holy Spirit, and that is truth. That is real. He says, remain in Him. Now, Tony Evans gives this great illustration. How many of y'all have walked into the kitchen and somebody cooked oatmeal that morning and they left it dried in the pot? Or, or like macaroni and cheese. This happened at my house the other day. I walk in and somebody left me. I'm like, man, who did this? I know who it was. I'm not going to say her name, but anyway. Uh, she always does it. And, and years ago, I used to get mad. I'd go in there and I'd turn the water on, put the soap in there and get that, that wiry thing out, you know, that really, that kind of scrubber thing. And you're just like, you know, you're about losing your mind and your Christianity the whole time. And you finally get it out of there, but, you know, you've got macaroni and cheese up under your fingernails as you're trying to scrape it out. And I'm going, well, you're an idiot, Craig. Just put some water all the way up with some soapy hot water in there and just leave it for two hours. Go watch the Brave Games. And when you come back, ah, oh, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? It's just all that macaroni and cheese and oatmeal just pours out. But it took me a long time to figure that out because, oh gosh, I was going to get it clean right then. But interestingly enough, Tony Evans is saying Sometimes in life we come under these frustrating things that we're not sure about and we're mad about and, we're, and our reaction is to get in there and just start handling things. He's going, wait a minute. Soak, let the Holy Spirit, let God's work soak in you and think about this situation, how you're going to respond. What would God want, how would God want me to respond? And Jesus was the master of this, wasn't he? 
before he did some major things, it was interesting, Jesus would go off at strategic times and pray all night. And if you look at what happened after that, you go, no wonder he prayed all night. He needed God's guidance. He needed to soak in the Holy Spirit and his Father and his Word and know what he was going to do next because the world was pressing in on him. So we need to do that. Soaking in God's Word and His truth, allowing the Holy Spirit to guide me and soften me up to these things that are coming in around me that are hard and difficult. And when God has anointed His character on you, there's no need for us to be fearful about, is this the end of the time? Is this the judgment? No, because our eternal security is secure, isn't it? In Jesus Christ, in His life, in His death, in His resurrection. In Him, we sang about it this morning, in Him we've been saved from sin and death and have eternal life with Him. This is the good news that John's telling in his gospel and he's reiterating in this letter. So this morning, we've talked about a lot of stuff. But what I want to ask you is, maybe there's somebody here that needs to receive Jesus' anointing this morning. Now, it's not something you need to be afraid of. Some, it is a mystical experience. It is mysterious how the Holy Spirit comes into your life and changes you. That doesn't happen immediately most of the time, but in some people it does. But that's what God wants to do is change you from the inside out. And maybe some of us have received that anointing, but you know what? We've turned that receiver off. And we've started to listen to things on the radio and the TV and in the news and on our phones. And, and we're listening to friends or coworkers. And we hear some things that are really not. And we've turned our receiver off. Because we know in the beginning that we didn't like that. But our pride or our situation goes, oh, that's okay. I'm going to start listening to that. And we've turned the receiver of the Holy Spirit off. And we've left God out. And God goes, no, I want to be a part of everything in your life. I want to help you make those decisions. So it's never too late to start doing the right thing. Never.